Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Lessons for Living. His word so fresh in our hearts abound. His word made flesh in the here and now. A new life is beginning. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. Being the cupbearer, everything was perfect in his life. He had to taste the wine and the food and all that before the king would do it. He lived in comfortable surroundings. I mean, he really, the benefits were just absolutely incredible. But God was going to speak to Nehemiah through these circumstances. Now, remember, point number one. God speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through his spirit. But he does speak to us through circumstances. There weren't too many better jobs than the one Nehemiah had. He was the king's food and drink tester. That meant that he was at the king's side most of the time. And even though he was a servant, he had access to earthly power, the most power on earth at that time. Despite that, as Pastor Mark will teach today, Nehemiah's heart was gripped by what he heard about the conditions in Jerusalem. You'll get to learn today about the types of prayer that Nehemiah prayed and how they apply to your life. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now, here's Pastor Mark in the book of Nehemiah chapter 1. As he continues his message, all kinds of prayers. Lord, let us hear your lessons for living. The book of Nehemiah. Sometimes we forget in life what life is all about. We're going to study real life. Tonight in Nehemiah, we have a picture of real life. If you look at Nehemiah, let me give you the background a little bit. In the Old Testament, many people faced situations that were absolutely impossible. Nehemiah is one of those who is a great example of prayer and how to pray. He's a role model for us. He's going to show us the importance of prayer and the victory that comes through prayer. Now, you remember way back in the book of Genesis, God called Abram to leave his country, and as he obeyed, God multiplied the descendants. They grew and grew and grew. Eventually, because of all kinds of things, they ended up in Egypt. They became slaves in bondage. But eventually, God brought them out to the promised land. Well, hundreds of years went by. The nation did good. Then it didn't do good. Then it did good. Then it didn't do good. They fell away from God. The highlight was kind of when David was their king. Things were really going great. And then Solomon stepped in. After Solomon died, things really went downhill quickly for the nation of Israel. In fact, the nation split into two kingdoms, the northern and the southern kingdom. And because of that disobedience, the Assyrians came and took these ten tribes of Israel and took them away into captivity. They never really became anything again. They intermarried and the Samaritans were part of that. What was left was this incredible southern kingdom, that just two tribes that were called the tribes of Judah. 
The problem was they didn't learn to obey God. Because of that, as you know, Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army came, took them into exile. They were there for about 70 years. Eventually, God orchestrated a return to their country. And there were three special return stages where the remnant that wanted to go back to Jerusalem and Judah went back. The first was led by Zerubbabel, and he kind of worked on rebuilding the temple. The second was Ezra, and that was kind of a restoration of the Word of God. And then there was another one that we're going to study about, Nehemiah, and he kind of worked on rebuilding the walls. All three of those took place. Now, if you found Nehemiah, we begin... And we'll go through the first chapter very quickly, but I'm going to show you many, many things about prayer and how it fits in. Now, let me just make this statement as we go. Don't just think of Nehemiah. You think of your life. Some of you are sitting here with an impossible situation. It's absolutely impossible. Well, that's what Nehemiah had. You say, well, I don't have one of those impossible things. Oh, you will. And you never know tomorrow morning we have one of those. And the things you'll learn is a habit of prayer. It's a lifestyle of prayer. It's ongoing prayer. It's not just 911 prayer. God does answer those. Praise God, right? But it's a process of learning how to communicate with God. So Nehemiah chapter 1. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. Now they had been to Judah and it was being restored. But look what the report is. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. Now remember, Nehemiah is still serving the king and he's in the foreign land. He's in exile. And they said to me, those who survived the exile back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. In fact, the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. So this is the first time Nehemiah... Gets to hear from his brother, well, how things are going about a thousand miles away. How are they going? Well, he hears that they're not going well at all. God had honored Nehemiah, and you'll see as we end this chapter, he was a person of honesty and integrity. And he was given this highly desired position of being the personal cupbearer to the king, Artaxerxes. Because of that, He's in a place, we'll see later, where God's going to use him. He's just a common, ordinary man that God is going to use. Now, being the cupbearer, everything was perfect in his life. He had to taste the wine and the food and all that before the king would do it. He lived in comfortable surroundings. I mean, he really, the benefits were just absolutely incredible. But God was going to speak to Nehemiah through these circumstances. Now, remember, point number one. God speaks to us through his word. He speaks to us through his spirit. But he does speak to us through circumstances. Now, what is the circumstance he's going to speak to him about? Well, he's just heard that the walls of Jerusalem are destroyed. Now, in our day, that would be like the security system at the airport or on our trains or the FBI or the CIA and all, they were just defunct. They weren't using them. And so when a wall went down, they were open to all the enemies. It was disaster for the city. So there's a circumstance that comes up and Nehemiah in the flesh would probably say this. 
Well, I'm sorry about that. I'll pray about it. You're going to see he does more than that. Because now he's going to relate to these people. He's comfortable. He could just stay where he's at. He doesn't even have to think about it. But the circumstance is going to move Nehemiah to prayer. Now, verse 4. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned, and here we go, and what? And fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. So when we see Nehemiah's response, he sat down, he wept, he mourned, he fasted. Just exactly what we talked about. He began putting these spiritual disciplines up. Now, to fast, in this particular case, was very unique because what are we talking about? He's in a cushy job. He's got this incredible food in front of him. But he fasts because he knows there's a need. So, notice that Nehemiah doesn't try to solve the problem himself. He knows unless God gets involved, there's no solution to this. So he prayed before he did anything else. Next thing to write. Prayer should be our first action and not our last response. Now you're going to see that he does more than pray. But he definitely prays. We have to be very careful because, especially if you come with corporate background training or whatever, we're used to solving problems. And I remember going up to Wharton School of Business and I had the honor of going up there for a few weeks and working with these guys in master's degree program and doctor degree programs and whatever. And we learned to problem solve and doing all these things. It was great. It was wonderful training. But there comes a time when man's problem solving, nice answer, doesn't solve the problem. And here's Nehemiah. He's got an issue. And he knows, and as God comes through, there's no solution to this. So the first thing I want you to write out of many Nehemiah prays with true concern. He weeps. He mourns. He sees the situation for what it is. And he just doesn't go through emotion, but he fasts and he prays. He says, God, this is, this can't be. There's got to be a solution to this problem. You didn't let all these people to be here 70 years and now some of them go back to just Be apathetic again in the walls of Jerusalem. Be useless and the people again make fun of you as God. God, as he's praying with true concern, he says this, God, what do you want me to do? I think that's very, very important. Many times the way God really works in our lives is when you see a need and God speaks to you about the need, then God will give you the solution to meet that need. You see, you cannot live life and respond to need. There are more needs than you can ever respond to. And that's the problem when you go to a foreign country, you get off these buses or whatever, or you're playing, I remember in India, just surrounded with kids. A grain of rice, a bowl of rice, they'd love you forever. So what do you do? You can't meet because there comes the next hundred, and then the next hundred, and then the next hundred. You just can't meet the need. So you have to be careful that you don't try to meet the need just because there's a need. You can't solve all the needs. You say, well, that's not scriptural. Yes, it is. You remember? 
The disciples came to Jesus and said, come on back to town. The people are already at the door. Jesus said, no, we're going to the next town because they need to hear also. So he left some needs undone. But when God speaks to you, to you, then he's going to give you the solution. So he really put it on Nehemiah's heart. And Nehemiah is going to come up with the solution through God because he's going to actually do something about it. Sometimes all we do is prayer and that's wonderful, but it's going to be more than prayer. Number two, you're going to see in verse five, we need to pray with praise. In other words, the first thing he does, he reminds himself of who God is, the right view of God. Notice what he says. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven. The great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. So he starts this prayer by restating who he's praying to. Our Father who art in heaven. Why did Jesus start with that? To remind us who we're praying to. If we're praying to Buddha, why should we pray? If you're praying to me, forget it. I can't help you. So... He goes and he says, Oh, Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God. And so Nehemiah says, the problem's too big for me. I'm not going to focus on me. I'm going to focus on you, God. You're the solution to the problem. He has the right view of God. Often Satan gets us to look at the bigness of the problem and get our eyes off God. This is exactly the opposite. Nehemiah goes to God, and then the problem seems smaller. It's exactly what you and I need to do. Now, how do we keep focused on God? How do we do that practically? Two ways. How do I keep a right view of God? Read the Bible. When you read the Bible, you read about God's character, His nature, you're going to see God as a solution. So the more you're in the Bible, the more you have the right view of God, because the Bible is all about God. Second, Your own prayer journal, your own journal where you write, I have a page called God's Goodness, those incredible, unbelievable things that God does. Every day you should be writing some things, but I just have those. And when I kind of get discouraged or something, I'll go back and look at those. Man, that just gets me the right view of God again. In our pastor's meeting this morning, we just thought about God's faithfulness. And we just looked around the table and this group of guys, how did we get here? It was God's faithfulness. How did you get here? It's God's faithfulness. And see, when you see that, it just brings us back to the right view of God. That's how we pray. So you want to pray starting with God. And as you do that, you know that there's nothing too big for God. Number three, pray with confidence. Now, I can only pray with confidence if my heart is right. John fourteen twenty one says, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. So number three again, pray with confidence. Nehemiah says, God, there's a promise. There's a covenant. Those who love and obey your commands. Notice what he says. God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. David says this, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. James 4, 3 says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend it on what gives you pleasure. So two things can keep us our heart right. Number one, I'm praying in God's will. We'll see that in a little while. And number two, I'm praying because 
I've confessed my sin. I can have confidence if I'm doing the things that God wants me to do in the right way. If I'm sinning, well, God's not really interested in answering my prayer. So he wants my heart to be right, then he's going to answer my prayer. Because God's more interested in my relationship with him than the circumstances in my life. You have to get that right. People say, well, I'll get my life straight, then I'll come to the Lord. Well, no, you can't do that. You come to the Lord, then God gets your life straight. And it's the same with our prayers. Now, number four, pray with humility. The right motive. Notice Nehemiah 1.6. God lets your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your, you might want to circle this word, your servant. So he's not bossing God. He's not saying, God, I need a hundredfold. I know you're going to do it now. He says, your servant is praying before you. How often? Day and what? Day and night. He's praying day and night. For your servants, the people of Israel. So, notice the incredible consistency of his prayer. But notice the next statement. I confess the sins those Israelites do. They're pretty bad people. Notice what he does. I think this is very important. It doesn't say that at all. It says, I confess the sins we Israelites including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. You see, this prayer included confession. God, I want your ears to be attentive, your eyes to be open. I'm your servant. I'm just your servant. I know you're not this supernatural bellhop. So God, I humbly say to you, here's the need. I identify with these sinful people because that's all I am. The reason we're here in captivity is because as a nation, we sin. So we have to be careful. Remember in Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name, and if you're a Christian, you're one of them, will humble themselves and call on me and met their need, boom, God will answer. Well, sometimes all we like to do is talk about the bad things of our country. Well, we're part of it. If you're an American, we let all this happen. We really did. Many times we never prayed. And now we're praying, aren't we? Trying to get prayer back in the schools. We didn't pray about it when it was getting taken out. We just kind of go along with that thing. And so what you're seeing here is a humility because the motive isn't, well, God, you need to fix this wall because those guys are sinning over there. No, God, we humbly confess. Please listen to us. We're asking you to come and do something. We admit we've been wrong. When you have your daily devotions, remember the first part of your daily devotions is yesterday. How'd I do? What'd I do? Did I lose it? Did I ask the person at home? Now, number five, pray with consistency and zeal. Your servant is praying before you day and night. The issues are heavy on his heart. He's doing the only thing he can do to change the problem. God already has a solution before we pray. Isn't this amazing? Nehemiah is saying, God, I'm praying 24-7 for this need. It's on my heart. God, I need to hear from you. The Bible says, God already knows what we need before 
we ask. That's incredible. Now notice it says pray with consistency and zeal. We can pray with consistency, but sometimes we lose the zeal when the answer isn't right away, don't we? We pray for a week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, no answer. Some of you are in there. You're right there in that. You've been praying. You know God can answer. The consistency there, but the zeal's kind of gone. The faith's gone. No, you have to be consistent. Nehemiah prayed four months before God opened one door. Four months. So don't get discouraged. Sometimes it's more than four months. But he prayed for four months. And so with that is the zeal. God, you can still do it. Your timing's right. God, you know what I need. You know what the situation is. God, I just trust you. And then God will eventually open that door for us. First Thessalonians 5.17 just simply says this. Pray continually. So 24-7, pray without ceasing. There has to be times in your life, I think it's so clear, where God will speak to you during the night. You've heard me talk about it many times before. And you don't want to, you don't want to talk about it specifically. I do that just to challenge you. It isn't anything like we're special people because God speaks to us during the night. But sometimes God will just wake you up with a, a prayer request or somebody on your heart and you just need to get up. Or if you're a teacher, quite often you'll need to get up and write it down. If you're very young, then your mind's fine. But keep a little pen. Some of you gave me a little pen with a little light so I can get up and not bother my wife and I just write the note down and keep on going. Sometimes, if God really speaks, I just have to get up and write the whole pages because the next morning I'll never remember what he told me. There's other times, and this is more often, that God wants to speak to you every day during the day. All during the day. Today, I was out. And then I went out to pray for somebody today. and I was out early this morning. I walked through Sam's to pick up something on the way to work. There's nobody there. And just a few people because it's the business people. I walked in and somebody just gave kind of an answer to prayer. Pastor Mark, wow, this really happened to me. You know, as I passed by another person said, hey, Pastor Mark, guy over in the corner said, hey, Pastor Mark, guy over here said, hey, Pastor Mark, see you tonight. Well, what is this, church? <laughs> it's great. As we were driving to do what we wanted to do this afternoon to go pray for the individual, I went by a restaurant. And God just said to my heart, you know who owns that? It's a new restaurant. You need to go speak to him. And I had already planned to do it and tried to call once, didn't work, whatever. So went back in, went, did our thing, came back, went to pray, couldn't find somebody. He wasn't there. I walked in the restaurant. This lady says, hey, how are you, Pastor Mark? And so I just talked with her for a little while. But I'm going to go back and pray for that person. Now, how did that happen? Because I'm listening. I'm trying to. I'm listening to God. You see... It's not just in the middle of the night. He goes, bing, 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 bing. He wants to say that during the day. He wants to direct you during the day. That's what prayer is. It's two-way conversation. It's not weird stuff. I didn't say to my wife as we were driving, okay, now let me stop the car and let me get on. God, did you really say I need to go to this place? That's weird. It's two-way conversation. And you say, well, should that be normal? Yes. It should be. When God speaks to us, that we just obey. And this is what Nehemiah is doing. He's so intimately involved, he's just pouring out his heart to God with zeal consistently. Number six, pray with intercession. Notice in that verse, you can actually circle it. He says, open your ears day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. He's praying for your servants for your servants. That's what intercession is. He's not praying for himself. He's praying for others. 
You got to hear today about a unique man in Pastor Mark's message. Nehemiah was a slave in a high position who cared about the welfare of his people, the Jews. He made use of the different types of prayer that Pastor Mark's been teaching about in his praying for his people. He most importantly was willing to be used by God to be part of the answer to prayer. Lessons for Living is the teaching ministry of Pastor Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. We have multiple campuses to reach those living in Melbourne, Sebastian and Vieira. All campuses meet each weekend and on Wednesdays to spend time collectively raising our voices in worship to our Most High God and studying the truth and blessings found in His Word. For more information, directions, and service times, visit LessonsForLivingRadio.com and click on the church link at the bottom of the page. Next time, Pastor Mark will complete his teaching, All Kinds of Prayer. You'll hear more about the attitudes that Nehemiah prayed with and why you need to be mixing them into your prayer life. Pastor Mark will be giving examples showing how you can develop a lifestyle of prayer, showing how doing so benefits you and those who are around you. We've run out of time today, but we do encourage you to tune in next time as Pastor Mark will continue teaching through this series called Real Conversations with God. That's next time on Lessons for Living. Our eyes have seen.